Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In whom, so speaking of Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory. And that's all we'll read. And I'd like for you to think about this. I know we've maybe touched on this a little bit on Sunday. But you, you think about this, that we, not that I should praise His glory, but that we should be to the praise of His glory. So, just think about this, and this might sound silly to you, but as I read this, that we should be too, should be too. You know what that word means? Or that little phrase? Exist. We exist for the praise of His glory. Now don't get that in our minds that we're to praise God with our lips. We are to be. We exist to be. We exist to praise His glory. Now, we might lose sight of that, so let me, let us, let me help you to understand what Paul is saying here. That we might honor, that we might praise, that we might worship, that we might celebrate, that we might, so this praise to the glory means this, to make apparent, to form an opinion. Now as I read this verse, you know what I need to be? I need to exist that you form an opinion that God has done a work in me. That when you see my life, I see your life. That when I see that, I see a work of God that would praise God for the glory that's revealed in you. I see the work of God, that glory of God in you. So just a little farther on the definition. So it says this, uh, through us, His glory might be set forth. Can you see that? That I exist. You exist. If you're a child of God. Now Heather Heather mentioned this family. And you know, we mentioned a handpicked by God. I tell you, if you're saved, isn't that wonderful? That God thought about you that God did a work in you to bring you to salvation? Well, I, 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 don't want us to, I don't want us to focus on that too much. And don't take me wrong, just bear with me a second. I have no idea. I know this. If someone else comes to the knowledge and comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, It'll be because there's someone exalting the Lamb of God. You know how I come? I come through the preaching of the Gospel. 
I come through the working of the Holy Spirit. I come through God doing a work in me. I'm not discounting the work of God that was done in me. The Holy Spirit had to do a work in me. But the Holy Spirit was working in other people that they might see that God had made a change in my life. So this praise to be, to we exist to set forth the working of God that you and I might be set forth. That our families, our neighbors, our people that are lost might be able to see a work of God done in us. <coughs> so again, through His glory, through us. So again, form an opinion. I'm not forming an opinion. I want my neighbor, I want my lost people to form an opinion that God has done a work in me. I want to live in a manner that they would form an opinion that God has done a work in me. This is what I'd like to think about tonight. What is hindering? What is it that is hindering our people from seeing a work of God done in us? What is it that is keeping... You know, I believe this. I believe you could agree with it. I can keep by myself. I can keep the work of God hidden. Would you believe that? Would you agree with that? Would you agree with a lax life? Would you agree with a, with a life that is out of order with the Word of God that I can keep a work of God hidden? What do I need to do? I, I, I realize you're looking at me puzzled. Can I keep that Word? Can I keep that hidden? I, I believe my flesh can keep the work of God hidden. I believe that. What's hindering? So let's let's just think about this for a few minutes. So Philip was approached by some Greeks over in the book of John, chapter twelve, and you know what he said? He said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. Don't you reckon that's what our world is in need of today? But remember this, that they came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration and there was a man there that had a son that was possessed with the devil. And that man said, I have brought my son to your disciples. And they can't do anything with him. You know what they were expecting? They were expecting the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to do what the Lord was able to do. Now, I don't want to take that too far, but know this, you and I are God's representatives, aren't we? We are ambassadors for Christ. So, in Ephesians chapter 1, we are to be to the praise of His glory. That we should be, that we exist for the praise of His glory. Peter, or the Lord said, Philip said this in another place. 
He said, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll suffice us. What did Jesus say? Have you been so long with me and not seen the Father? So let's put all of that together. Have our families, our neighbors, our friends, have they seen Jesus? We're the representative. I'm the representative. You're the representative. We are the representatives of a work of God being done in our lives. I'm talking about glory, praise, that we should be, that we exist for the praise of His glory. That they would form an opinion of us that our lives is setting forth the glory of God. That our lives are manifesting a work of God being done in our lives that we might show forth a work of God. You know, you just think about this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm thankful that you expect me to preach. And I expect to preach. But you know, you've had three days to have something to say for God. You've had three days to have a song, have a testimony. I'm not talking about just words. I'm talking about something that would exalt the Lord and maybe somebody sitting here that's lost would see as you have a testimony, as you have a song, as you have a word, as you have a prayer, that someone here that is lost would be able to see in you a work of God. So what, what preparation have we made since Sunday night at 7 o'clock till tonight at 7 o'clock what preparation have we made to show forth the Word of God? To show forth the glory of God? You see? What do we need to do? Is there something that I can do? Is there something I'm not doing? I'm not trying to be ugly to you. I'm saying this. Does it, is it not true that we need the manifestation of a work of God done in the church that the lost people could come under conviction? That the lost people would form an opinion that God had done a work in the church? Isn't it needful that they form an opinion that they are without excuse, that they could not say, I went down to the church and they couldn't do anything for me, there was nothing down there to help me? Well, ain't that a terrible place to be in? That somebody that's lost comes down to the church and the church doesn't have anything that would make them form an opinion that God had done a work in us. You see, we, 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 just, we just discount that we need the presence of God we discount that we need the manifestation and the setting forth. Again, I want to I say this to you. To form an opinion that through His, through us, His glory might be set forth. Can you see that? How that they, the lost and the dying, need to form an opinion that there's been a work of God done.
Listen to Galatians. I've already read it to you. Probably read it Sunday morning. But this is what it says. Galatians chapter 1 verse 23. And they that heard it, what did they hear? Paul was unknown to the face. Many of the churches in Judea had never seen the man that people called Paul or called Saul of Tarsus. But you know what they had heard? They had heard that God, this man that persecuted, this man that done all the harm, this man that had done so much damage to the church, they heard this. The only thing that they heard, that He that persecuted in times past now preacheth the faith which once He destroyed. Folks, you know what they knew about Paul? This man had had a great change. This man was, it was so manifest what a change that this man was. From what he used to be to what he is today, everybody in the community is talking about what a change that God had wrought in his heart and they glorified God in me. Are they saying they're glorifying Paul? No, what they're saying is they're glorifying the work of God in the Apostle Paul. They're saying we have formed this opinion God has done a miraculous, a life-changing, an eternal and everlasting work of God. God has done this work in this man. It had to be God. And He is living in such a 180 degree difference from what He was. I realize this. You might say, well, I've been saved for 25 years. So the news wore off of it. That's what we're saying. The news wore off. Nothing new today. God has got old. God has got uh, 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 unable to change me. Unable to give me anything. Unable to open something new to me. Unable to give me a, 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 a word to praise and to honor His name. Unable to give me a testimony that might have the Spirit and the power of God. Ladies and gentlemen, God help us. We ought not to have to go back. I tell you, we shouldn't have to go any farther than the parking lot to the pew. Uh, from the parking lot into the church house. Our friend, that we might be in the spirit of worship. We might be in a place that we would honor God. We might have come prepared, a friend, to have something to give unto God to glorify Him that would help our neighbor, help our church, help the lost man, help them to see a work of God done in you. But you know, if I come in every time with no preparation, don't you reckon, don't you reckon if I just lollygagged around every week Sunday to Wednesday, Wednesday to Sunday, no study, no prayer, no time in the Word of God, no searching, no thought of you. Do you reckon you could see that? But you know what this book says? This book says that we. Is that Him only? Is that the writer only? Are you included? If you're saved, you're included. That we should be. That we exist. That the lost would form an opinion that through us, 
God, the glory of God is set forth. Where are they going to look, folks? Where shall the lost world look to see a work of God? Are they going to read their Bibles? I don't want to go too far, but are they going to turn on the television or the radio and see it? I tell you, the majority of what they're going to see and hear is a lie. You remember what the man read to us on uh, Sunday night? Listen to these words. Listen to these words. Psalm number 40. And he says this, He brought me up out of my horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock, and established my going. And he hath... Put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, are you reading this verse like I'm reading it? And He hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. And many shall see it. What are they looking at? My lips moving? The Word of God says they're seeing it. I don't believe that's a misprint. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? Would you say out of the abundance of the heart, the life is lived? So the Word of God said He brought me up. I'm a saved man. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. He come and brought me out. He had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many shall see it and fear. You know what there's going to be? That fear is a reverence. There's a reverence there. What's going on? And trust shall shall be confident in the Lord. What are they seeing? I tell you, they're seeing a manifestation of the glory of God in you. They're seeing a work of God in you. And this work of God is because God did something in your heart. And friend, you know what happened? It boils over. It runs over. Your cup is full and running over. And you know what? When your cup runs over, thank God somebody's there to see it. And they are confident. They have formed an opinion. And they are confident that God has done a work in you. So as we think about this, you think with me. What's hindering me? I would say this. You know the number, I believe the number one thing, I don't know if I could say that or not, one of the things that hinder me. No realization or no weight put on my sin. No real weight. Put on sin. Well, it'll be all right. Grace will cover it. God has forgiven me past, present, and future. I didn't say it changed my relationship. But does it change my fellowship? Does it change my fellowship? So if I am going to walk and have the presence and the power of God... 
if I'm going to convince the gainsayer, if there's going to be a manifestation of God doing a work in my heart and them being convinced and them forming opinion that God has done a work in me, I'll tell you what I better do. I better think about how weighty and how ungodly and how wretched and how separating my sin is in the fellowship of God. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter number 66. I believe the Lord would like for us to be like this. Isaiah 66. He says this, For all these things, who, who's going to build the Lord a house? Well, now let's think about that for just a second. Who's going to build the Lord a house? We're all, if you're saved, you're His house. You're His dwelling place. But you know what I can do? I can let the windows get nasty. I can let the I can let the uh, the outside look like it ain't been cleaned in a month. I can let the inside get filthy. I can let the mud and the manure and the filth get into the house. And friend, you know what? When the lost man and the lost woman comes down the road and they look over at my house, and that's supposed to be a house of God, I tell you, there's no attraction. But it says this. Who's going to build me a house? All these things I've made, all those things have been, saith the Lord. Verse number 2, But to this man will I look. Oh man, wouldn't you like for God to look your way? Wouldn't you like to have God look your way? (coughs) Even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. (laughs) Isn't that something? If I trembled at the Word of God, if I trembled at when God said do this and don't do that, if when God told me to do something, a friend, there was a trembling and a fear, I tell you what it'd do, it'd get the presence of God around me a little bit more. Friend, when there is no uh, weightiness to my sin, when there's no realization that it's cutting me off from the fellowship of God, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, do you believe the Bible said grieve not the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that it saddens the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that we can make the Holy Spirit feel unwelcome? I'll tell you that my sin and my unwillingness to repent and your unwillingness to repent can keep us away from the fellowship and from our lost people forming an opinion that God's done any work in our lives. Look at the psalm. Psalm 51. Familiar to you, I know. But look at this psalm. Is our is our our our, our lack of putting any weight on sin? I ask you this: How long has it been since you come to the house of God and you felt like you needed to come and ask God to forgive you of anything? How long's it been since you come and fell in the altar and asked God how to forgive you of your failures? Been a long time, ain't it? We tell the honest to God truth, it's been a long, long time. I'm talking about why is Jesus, why is God not glorified? Listen to what the psalmist said, 51. So he says this, verse 17, 
the sacrifices of God, <laughs> what shall I bring to God? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. So I believe in Isaiah when he talks about that, you know he's talking about, I've thought about it like this a long, long time ago. That heart is like flour. Now you just let some flour fall there on the counter with the kitchen window open and let the wind blow. And you know what's going to happen? There's going to be flour all over the kitchen floor, isn't there? Man needs a heart that is like that to the Word of God. When the Word of God comes, I need a heart that's broken by the Word of God. I need a heart that is crushed by the Word of God. I need a heart that is under the weight of the Word of God. Oh, David said this, what are the sacrifices of God? A broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, Thou will not despise. God, You won't disregard that. If I come to God with a broken heart and a broken and a contrite spirit, you know what I can do? I won't come and say, no God, I've not sinned. I'll come and I'll confess my sin. And you know what He's obligated to do by His own Word? He's obligated to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But my problem is not having a broken heart and a broken and a contrite spirit over my sin. We can just go on and do any way we please and expect God to come through. The Bible says that we are an inheritance of God uh, brought into that by lot, by His own will, His own purpose. And you know what He says? That we should be, that we exist. You know why you're here? To give glory to God for saving you. That's why we're here. We're here to glorify a work of God in us. But sin is what's glorified today. Sin, wickedness, ungodliness. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just continue right on coming to church. I'm going to sit in my pew. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to go to the prayer room. I'm going to the altar when they call for an altar. I'm going to sing the song. And I'm going to get up and there's going to be absolutely no change in my life. We exist. We exist for the praise of His glory. So verse number 17, look at that. Sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, Thou will not despise. Do good in Thy good pleasure under Thine. Build Thou the walls of Jerusalem. Listen to verse 19. Then shall Thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then shall they offer bullocks upon Thy altar. You know what He said in verse number verse number 13, after He was cleansed, after He begged for forgiveness, after He got it all done, He said, Then will I teach transgressors Thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know something? Until I admit my sin, till I put a weightiness on my sin, till I realize that I have not the presence of God, till I realize I'm not bringing any glory to the work that God's done in me because of my unrepented, my likeness made of sin. You know what? There's no transgressor going to be converted.
You can give it all to God. But do you have a part? Do you exist to give praise to His glory? That we should be to the praise. So you think about it. 1 John, I've already alluded to it, but 1 John says this. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8. John said this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. My God, I'm lying to myself. You know why we do that? Gosh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want Dwight to think that I need to repent. I don't want Rex to think I need to repent. I don't want Heather to think that I need to repent. There's, there's something in my life out of order that I need to get right with God. Oh, God forbid that anybody would think that I need to repent. So you know what I say? I have no sin. You know what that does for me? That just separates me that much more from God's fellowship. I tell you, you've got someone dwelling in you that tells you every time you sin, don't you? Do you not? Do you not have someone dwelling in you that every time you sin, every time you step out of line, as Brad says, there's an alarm goes off and I know it. What has been done about that? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My, my, my. You know what I'm saying? When the Holy Ghost says, You're sinning, son. Sunday morning comes, the altar call comes, the preaching comes, the teaching comes. Uh, There's a call of God to my heart. And you know what I say? I'm not sinning. You you like the forgiveness of God, don't you? You enjoy the forgiveness of God, don't you? Don't you enjoy that? Isn't the forgiveness of God wonderful? So, listen to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, the psalmist says this, if Lord, if you mark iniquity, God, if you keep score, who's going to stand? God, who's going to be able to stand up if you're keeping score? If thou shouldest mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Isn't that wonderful? Look over in the book of Micah. In the book of Micah, chapter number 7, And verse number 18, Who is a God likened unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities uh, and, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You know what we've got? Uh, in Isaiah, in, Isaiah in, in the Psalm 130 and Micah 
chapter number 7, you know what we've got? We've got a God of forgiveness. Clark said to us the other night out of Jeremiah chapter 3, you know why I don't have forgiveness? My friend, because I don't ask for forgiveness. Because I don't need any forgiveness. Because I'm unwilling to repent of my sin. Unwilling to acknowledge my sin. We really like that forgiveness of God. But I ask you this, how much are we doing it? Have I ever brought anything to Him in the last while that I needed any forgiveness for? I'm trying to think tonight about what is keeping us, keeping our fellow man from seeing the glory of God in our lives. You know, I thought about this. Maybe I'm too big. Maybe I'm too big. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe my problem is I'm not humble. Maybe my problem is I'm too great. In, in Matthew chapter 18, you know what we find there? We find there, ladies and gentlemen, we find there that they're arguing along the way and they're trying to figure out who the greatest is. And you know what? Uh, Peter is so great that he says this down at the Lord's Supper. Uh, Lord, they may all forsake you, but I know this I won't. I'll be a friend man. Man such has such a high opinion of himself. He doesn't even realize what a condition that he's in. But I tell you what the Lord did. How the Lord took a little child and set him in the midst. How the Lord took the least of all of them. He took that that nobody else I would have even looked that way. And friend, he said in the midst and he said unless you become as little children you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God you reckon I ought to keep that attitude you reckon if that is the attitude that brought me into the kingdom of God would that be a good attitude to keep would it be a good attitude for me not to think I'm too big for God to call me would it be good for me to think that I'm not too big for God to say you're the man for God to say, I want you to repent. Reckon it'd be good to have that attitude? Reckon it'd be good for God to call and the little child come? He called a little child. And he said, he placed him. The little child was submissive to the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we'll get too big for God to get any glory out of us. We can do it ourselves or above that. We don't need repentance anymore. We don't need forgiveness anymore. We don't need that. And I tell you where we've got, we've got to the place that we can't even forgive our fellow man. We can't forgive our fellow man. When they've done us wrong, you know what we do? How we hold a grudge. How we've got an attitude. You think that little child's got an attitude of malice? You think that little child is thinking about, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? No, I'll tell you what a heart that little fellow's got. He's willing to come when called. He's willing to stay where he's placed. He's willing to have an attitude. Have God wherever you put me. I'm going to stay right there and I'm happy with it. I'm thankful, God, that you even called me. God could leave you right where you're at in your sin, in your unrepentance, in your big self. Never have any influence. 
Now you just think with me. And I'll not name them all. But how about 12 disciples? And here's James and John and Peter arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I wonder how them other eight feel. I wonder how they feel. We may be too big. That may be what's hindering us. You know, I'd say this. I believe, uh, I believe it's in Galatians. Paul said this. I'll just say it as plain as I know how to say it. If you have to run everybody else in the church down to make you look good, we need to find ourselves in the altar and beg God to change our attitude. I believe Paul said it in Galatians, the last chapter, if I'm thinking. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You know, if i got to run down Greg Fowler for me to look good, I tell you, i got a problem. My problem, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a problem. You ought to have rejoicing in yourself and not in another. If it takes somebody else for you to trample underfoot, for you to look good, I tell you, we ought to repent ourselves. We ought to bring ourselves to the will and the Word of God. We ought to bring ourselves... I don't believe you can do this. I don't believe you can separate faith and faithfulness. I don't believe you can separate faith and obedience. I believe that the children of Israel, I've said, oh, we believe God. But you know what the truth is? The truth is they did not enter into the kingdom of Canaan. They didn't enter into the promised land because of unbelief. They did not enter into the promised land because of disobedience. Don't tell me we believe every word God says and we don't obey what God says. That won't work. Well, I believe everything God says. Do you really? Well, I say this. By our obedience, that's proved. Is that not what the Bible said about Abraham? Think with me. Abraham believed God, right? Does believing God bring about obedience? God said, I believe it's in the 22nd chapter. Abraham, take thy son, thy only son, and take him up on a mountain, I'll show you where and offer him. You know what Abraham's obedience proved? That he had genuine faith. Now, did God know Abraham had genuine faith? Did Abraham have to prove to God? But you know, I read in the Bible that was written for us as well. So your obedience is a revelation of whether you really believe God or not. If you're not obedient, if you're not going to be obedient unto God, then why would you say you believe God? If you're not going to be faithful to God, why would you say that you believe God? 
I believe that faith and obedience go together. I believe that faith and faithfulness go together. If I'm not going to be faithful to the things of God, I'm absolutely amazed today at what takes precedent over God. I'm amazed at what takes precedent over the house of God, over the Word of God, over praying, over fellowship with God, over the Bible. I'm amazed today. Everything coming down the pipe today is above and above God. It's a job. It's a child. It's a dangerous asylum. A friend, it's a fishing trip. It's a vacation. A friend, you know what we got today? We got a few folks that'll leave on Sunday afternoon. A friend, and come back. We got a few folks that's got to leave on Saturday. They don't get back. You won't see them for two weeks at least if they come back then. A friend, I wonder today... What is it today that is taking precedence over the things of God? Everything in the country today is above God. Everything in the country today is above the house of God. All of these things. You know what it's doing? It's cutting me off from the presence of God. Preacher, that's not necessary. Is it the truth? Pleasures of the world, the jobs, the family, the farm, the animals, the baseball, this, that, the other, whatever you want to name, I tell you it's above the things of God. I tell you that's cutting us off, folks. There's no faithfulness to the things that ought to be on the top of our priority. Why, preacher, I believe it. Where is the obedience unto the will and the Word of God then? Or is our faithfulness to the things of God then? You think, well, that ain't, that ain't necessary. You're meddling. Am I meddling? Am I meddling when I tell you that God said, I want you to love me uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and don't have any other gods before me? How about if I did like you do? How about if I did like that? Now you think of your excuses and your reasons and why you're not here. How about I do that? How would you feel about that? Huh? How would you feel about that? I had a friend show up. I had a, I had a family member show up. I had to work over. I, 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 I had hay on the ground. I, my cow got out. My sheep got out. Uh, uh, my, my uncle I hadn't seen in three years, he showed up. Uh, friend, what, what would you think if I laid God's work aside? Is that meddling? You call that meddling? Because God wants to be first? We'd like for God to show up, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd like for the Lord to show up. I tell you, things are going so good, we don't praise God. And when things turn south, we're so desiring and so longing to get out of the trouble and the sorrow we're in, there's no praising for God there either, is there? So when does He get glorified? When does He get glorified? Well, I'll say this. Abraham, Abraham was a man that was willing to give up everything to please God.
What would you be willing to give up today to have the presence of God? What did Paul give up? I don't know how you feel about it, but if I read Philippians chapter 3, he gave it all up. His life was on the line every day. Every day there was somebody trying to kill him. You know who's trying to kill you? You are. Your flesh. Your flesh, an unwillingness to sell out with this thing keeps us away from the presence of God. You know what the Lord said about Abraham in Romans chapter number 4? He said this, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. (laughs) What did God do? I I believe you could say it like this and not be a discredit. I believe that God, through Abraham's obedience, we're still reading about Abraham giving God glory through his obedience. He took his son, drew the knife and had already, I believe in the book of Hebrews, he had already in his heart and mind, he had already offered Isaac. He had already done it. He was already willing. How far are you willing to go? How far would you be willing to go to have the presence of God, the power of God, the fellowship of God, Abraham took his son up, put him on the altar, and Isaac yielded to him. Isaac's probably somewhere between 20 and 30 years old. Abraham's 120. Can Isaac overpower him? I tell you, it must be. It must be somewhere along the way that Isaac saw the glory of God in his father. Listen to Paul. Paul in the fourth chapter, Paul says this, I have fought a good fight. You talk about a man that is faith, a man that has faith and a man that is faithful. I have fought, I am ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand, and I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Listen to him in verse number 17 and 18 of that same chapter. Everybody's left him. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. How is it that God stood with him? Oh, I tell you, he was living. He existed to glorify, to the praise of his glory. They glorified God in me. Galatians 1.24 So let's think just another minute or two. Paul's willing to die. Willing to give it all up. Let's think just a moment out of uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things 
unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you know what I believe that does? I believe that gives glory. Praise to His glory. Now, you think with me. How can a man give thanks for all things? There'll have to be a work of God done in his life, wouldn't it? How can Paul get up from being stoned and left for dead? How can he get up and the next day preach again? Would you say that there was a manifestation of a work of God in that man's life? In the book of uh, Colossians 3.17, along this same line, 3.17, And whatsoever you do in word or do, Deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And whatsoever you do in word or do, deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Thanksgiving. Any thanksgiving? He says to us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, in the book of Luke chapter 17, Jesus healed ten lepers. There was one come back and give thanks, and he was a Samaritan. When we're dragging the bottom, folks, and God lifts us out, any glory to Him? Not to be ugly, would you like for me to just hush? I'm I'm serious. Not to be ugly. I'd like to help you. But if you think I'm your enemy, I'm not your enemy. I'd like to thank one more time one more thought. You know, he said in the Psalms, he said he gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their soul. We've got more and more and more and more. And we're striving for more and more and more and more. And it's the truth. That's the honest to God truth. Striving for more and more and more. And what is of the greatest importance is what we're the leanest on. We got finer homes, finer automobiles, finer insurance, finer food, finer abilities to enjoy this life. And you know something? God is put on the back burner. The things of God are laid to the side.
It's the truth. It's the truth. I'd like to think this is my last thought about jealousy for God. So I have two or three little examples I'd like to think about. I'd like to think about Joseph, first of all. In the 39th chapter, you know the Scripture very well. I mean, what an opportunity. He's the head of the house. The master's gone. All the servants are gone. And I would say, if there's a fine-looking woman in Egypt, this is her. And she's been after him day after day after day. And you know what he says? There's none greater in this house than I. Neither has he, talking about Potiphar, kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what he was concerned with? Wasn't whether he's going to get caught or not. If I do this, I'm sinning against the God that's brought me to where I am today. The one that said we should be to the praise. I exist for the work to show forth the work of God in my life. What a man that this man is. I don't know of anything any more tempting than a man or a woman or money. He said, no. I can't do this and sin against God. So look with me in Daniel chapter 3, another familiar scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've all bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And you know what's going to happen, friend? When you don't bow, there's going to be somebody call you out on it. When you want to have God in your life greater than you want to have the approval of other people, somebody's going to call you out on it. When God's glory and God's honor is the most important thing, the devil will be there to tempt you. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter number 3, there are certain Jews, verse 12, whom thou hast set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee, who had they regarded? Who had they put above the world? Who had they put above Nebuchadnezzar? Who had they put above the beast? The Lord. 
You know what the world said? We'll give you one more chance, buddy. We'll give you one more chance to bow. To come off of your dedication to God, I'm going to give you another chance. And if you'll come down, we won't make fun of you. If you'll come down, you can fit in with everybody else. Isn't that what the world wants you to do today? Isn't it? But if you decide that you're going to stand for God, we're going to turn the furnace up. Don't you reckon when Isaac said, here's the fire and here's the wood, where's the sacrifice? Don't you reckon that turned the furnace up in his heart? Abraham's heart. (coughs) Nebuchadnezzar said, we're turning the furnace up. They said, O king, we're not careful to answer thee concerning this matter. And you know, this has got a beautiful ending. How many today are willing? How many today are willing to put God first? How many today are willing to desire and long after the glory of God? This is what he says. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver thee. But here's what we've got to come to. He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. You know what's going to happen. You know the story. They're going in. The men that carried them up there, tied, bound, they died. They're thrown in the furnace. And you know what happened? They existed for the glory of God. When they were in the fiery furnace, the kings looking in and saw a fourth man in the fire. Isn't that what our people need to see? Don't they need to see a fourth man in the fire? Don't they need to see in the midst of a world of hellishness and ungodliness... Don't they need to see in you and I a fourth man in the fire? That we should be. That we exist for the praise of His glory. I won't read any more, but uh, think with me about David, uh, Samuel 17. You know, his brothers rail on him. First Samuel 17. Oh, we know why you come down here. Let me tell you, I know more than they do because God wrote it down in the book. You know why He's there? He's there because He's there because His Father sent Him back. He's there to check on His brothers and to take their pledge. He's there to see if they owe anything. He's there because of the providence of God. He's there because Israel's armies is being defied. He's there because Israel is backing up. He's there because there's a giant defying the armies of God. And He's the man. Goliath said, give me a man. I tell you, God gave him a man. Would you like to be a man today? Would you like to be a woman of God today? Would you like to be a man and a woman that would be willing to stand up and stand out for God? David said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defied the armies of God? I will fight Him. 
was he trying to glorify himself? No, I tell you what he was. He was jealous over God. He was. He was jealous. Have you seen this man? This is what they say. Have you seen this man that come up? That's in 25, 26. Who is he? What shall be done to the man that that killeth this Philistine? Take away the reproach from Israel. You think the church is under reproach today? I tell you everywhere you look, the church is down today. The church is down continually. People are running down the church. I'll tell you this, friend. They may have run down David for a few minutes, but God come by. God manifested that God had done a work in David, and David slew the giant, and all of Israel lined up behind him. Don't we need that today? If we could be jealous for God, if we could be jealous for the glory of God. One more time, Elijah said those words. And you know it. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17 or 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. So they're having a contest, right? That's what they're doing. And and what's the contest about? 1836. And it came to pass at the time of the evening of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again." Verse 39, the fire come, uh, the water licked up. A friend, uh, God licked it all up, and you know what they said? The Lord, He is God. How did they see this? You might say, well, they saw it because the water was licked up. They saw it because Elijah was jealous for God. He'll say that. He'll say that in the latter part of the chapter verse 19 verse 14 and he said I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thy altars slain thy prophets and with and and with and with the sword and I even I only am left you know something before he left the mountain he slew that crowd up there you talk about God being on a man God was on the man Samuel too. When Agag was there, he said, surely, surely, surely death's passed by now. I tell you, Samuel took a sword and cut him to pieces. It took God to do that. It'll take God in our lives. I'll read this verse one more time. If you could bear with us, just listen to this verse and remember what it means. Remember that we should be, that we exist to the praise of His glory. That our lost people, our lost world, our unsaved generation around us would form an opinion that God had done a work in our lives. That's needful, folks.